which is Ain't Nobody Checking For Me. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. And I'm Cody Wilkins, here again to thank you for pushing back against the name of the podcast. Everybody, what's up? Rachel, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Who who are you checking for these days, Cody? Or who's checking for you? You know, I got to give a massive shout out to my baby sister, Naya. She's a grown woman. My younger sister, Naya, uh, she checked for me in such a magnificent way this Christmas. She got me a 20-pound weighted blanket, and Ooh. I have never felt more cozy in my life. Um, mm. The funny thing is, you know, <laughs> before it was tough to get out of bed for a different reason. Now, mm-hmm. I'm just flailing around on this thing, feeling nice and, and frail, and I'm going to get like better abs every morning just from trying to start my day. So, big shout out to my sister, Naya. Rachel, how about you? I am checking for uh, disassociation via books and movies. I want to be anywhere but here. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. This holiday weekend, Halloween weekend, I was just, you know, drumming through Harry Potter after Harry Potter. Get me to Hogwarts. Get me out of my apartment. You know what I mean? I need a little magic. It's been platform nine and three quarters months of this bullshit. Motherfuckers need to hop on board and get the fuck on. Can I live in Hogwarts, Pata Siempre? The answer is no, but I'll disassociate until reality smacks me in the face, which it hasn't yet. Is there anyone you're absolutely not checking for? I'll tell you who I'm not checking for is, is the entire calendar year of 2020. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it, it's behind me. I'm, I, I actually am too sore in the neck to look over my shoulder because it's been flailing me around like a rag doll for the last mm-hmm. 366 days. I am no longer checking for the year of their Lord 2020. Throw it in the trash. Throw it garbage fire. Garbage fire. I got three words for you. Basura. Mm-hmm. Basura. <laughs> oh, and those were actually, I think, three syllables. But you know what? We're not looking at a dictionary in Spanish or English, I don't think. Uh-uh, not over here. It's no rules no more. We cool out there. Speaking of dictionary, which makes me think of books, which makes me think of someone who was checking for me this week, which was none other than the Strand Bookstore, who sent me a check for what? a whopping $18. A whopping $18 check. Look, a bitch sold books to the Strand Bookstore back in September. And they are just <laughs> now hidden. First of all, I went there to sell my books and they were, and I was like, okay, how much am I going to get? And they're like, we'll let you know. Well, now I know why they had to let me know because it was $18 and I would have stormed the fuck out of there, slammed the door. I'm out of here. And they have my lawyer who works pro bono for me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, what would what would you say? Three Is that three months later? They go ahead, slid me $18 for just a gaggle of great books. One of the books was still wrapped in plastic, which just oh, screams wow. that book alone should have been 18 It's very – Cody, did you ever sell oh, – back in college in our youth, did you buy books from the, like, university bookstore and then try to sell them back at the end of the semester? No, but only because I learned my lesson as a youth. When I was a kid, 
GameStop came to the neighborhood and they used to say, we'll buy back all your old video games. And you would think that I went from the store, bought the game, went home and just ate all of my meals off of the disc the way they would offer to give me 14 cents back for a game I paid $60 for nine months ago. It makes no sense. (laughs) So when I got to college and they said, Cody, buy these books so you could read. I said, no, all of my classmates are literate and also very articulate. So I'll have them read and then tell me about it and save a dollar. And here we are now in my house, fully unemployed. What mm. comes around? You know? I wish I would have learned. The money that I lost to NYU's bookstore. But you know what? I made it back because I kept stealing calendars every single year. There you go. But I, yay, we got assignment notebooks for free back in uh, CPS <laughs> days. I'm trying to do it in college. Oh, man. Oh, and just to where we're checking for this. We're checking for that. But but I think we I think that at this point in the game the listeners know that Strand Bookstore aside, Harry Potter aside, a weighted blanket aside, no check, no form of checkery hits harder than the checkery of a guest. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, friends, family, foes. Strap in, because we have a most exciting guest for you on this episode. She's near and dear to my heart, because uh, back in my college days when I was first getting my legs up under me, this woman directed me, pointed me in the right direction, and let me know that I sucked bad enough that it was time for me to go home and repolish the craft. Since then, she's pretty much exploded into a full-blown capital uh, P professional. Zora Howard, ladies and gentlemen. Zora, how are you? I'm great. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. So excited to have you. Um, you know, actress, playwright, screenwriter, Harlem native and absolute homie. Your your artistic rap sheet started off hot and early when you were 13 years old and became the youngest poet to win the Urban Word New York City Grand Slams. I know this because I got it from your Wikipedia page. That's how... <laughs> She's got a Wikipedia. <laughs> that's how you are moving that. these days. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, shout out to whoever made that Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's news to me. That's what's up. Yeah. Doing poetry for a very, very long time. Uh, it's kind of the first place that I... I don't know. I've, I've always been acting. I was acting and writing pretty much. I can't remember a time that I wasn't doing either. And, I, uh, you know, spoken word and, and poetry and creative writing is kind of a place where I got to, you know, blend the two. Because I was writing these pieces um, and I was also performing them. You know, I was writing with the intention to hear these words aloud. And, you know, I think that's what eventually just evolved into my playwriting and my screenwriting. It's, you know, it's dramatic text. It's words that are not supposed to, they're not just for the page. And, you know, that started at a very early age for me, even though I wasn't able to quite like, I, I wouldn't put that name to it then, but that's ultimately what it was. Absolutely. 13. Man, what was I doing at 13? Playing Little League Baseball still uh, with the boys. <laughs> so pretty, you know, pretty cool stuff. I'm guessing that it wasn't in terms of like getting into acting as a kid. You weren't like 
child actor on set, you know, got the tutor in between takes, like you were also a full-time kid, but you had this passion, like speak a little bit more to what that sort of looked like for you. Yeah. Um, I, my, my parents were really into for both my brother and I, um, and we were really blessed to dropping us into like a lot of different after school extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the big places that I, um, spent a lot of time as a kid was right down the block from my house. So it was very convenient for my parents. Uh, it was the Harlem School of the Arts and it's a performing arts, you know, uh, after school program, summer program, all the classes program, um, started by Dorothy Maynard back in the day, started by a black woman. Um, and you know, they kind of just let us explore. We were, I was taking classes in, uh, dance and chorus and visual arts and we had to play the violin and shit. So all of that, um, and theater was the place that really, you know, those were the classes that, that I kept on wanting to go back to. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, those were the only classes that I was taking. And, uh, the Harlem School of the Arts was also hooked up with a theater company that was in residence there at the time. So as a young, young kid, because I'm talking, I was like there from the age of four on. So as a young, young kid, I was getting the opportunity to also perform in professional productions um, and with a whole bunch of grown actors, you know what I'm saying? And uh, started to build a network even, you know, before I knew what a network was, what an artistic network was, and had a, also a whole bunch of mentors um, that were looking out for me and um, teaching me, you know, even though we weren't in the classroom, I was learning a lot. And it also just happened that that theater company was a black theater company. So, you know, I was seeing all these professional actors, you know, these theater heads and they were black. So there was never really a time in my life where I didn't have that immediate example of black people doing the thing that I wanted to be doing. Um, and the uh, also the possible like it just seemed very possible for me because I was like, they doing it. So when I get older, I can do it, too. Um, and I know I'm very privileged to have had that example, because uh, a lot of people don't. And then, you know, the city is, you can, there's a lot, if you if you choose for the city to be this, and if you, if you know about it, because again, in New York, you can live in this city and not have access to the cultural resources that are available or not know about them, you know what I'm saying? We so, saw that, we saw that in, in, in 290 sitcoms, Friends and Heinfeld, <laughs> Yes, indeed, so, um, Again, blessed that my parents were kind of like throwing us around and taking us around. They were both, you know, not artists professionally, but in their hearts, they were artists, you know, um, and ended up at LaGuardia, the fame school, you know. LaGuardia. Um, yeah, yeah, the LaGuardia. The, the classic LaGuardia. The weirdos at LaGuardia. Um, so, yeah, I can't really remember a time in, you know, being in the city and not feeling like very... I don't know, like alive artistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, that when when you have representation, right, and that representation around you can turn into inspiration, motivation, support. It it makes me feel actually like so much better about how many lengths ahead of everyone creatively you were in college. It's like, oh well, now hearing the backstory, <laughs> of course, just like. You it's like you were born and it's molded by it. Like it is not surprising, but I gotta I gotta wonder because I remember I remember too in college I heard about this woman Zora Howard. I guess at that time we were all like kids. This young woman, you know Zora, like walking and she. The whispers were that she was just like the, 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 the whispers around town 
Were they like? Because everybody was like supposedly like the best something at something, and that's why they were there. And she was just like the best poet on earth. Like it was like, did you actually know? You guys actually know Zora Howard, eighteen years old. She won the nineteen ninety Def Jam Comedy Awards. Yeah, before she was conceived, it's unbelievable. So, so the, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm. It's not surprising to hear about this background, but I guess my question is like. What was it so like to be so popping and like so checked for and confident and competent at 13? I guess I didn't think about it like that. I think 13-year-old me, I was just dealing with 13-year-old shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was like uh, the, the fun stuff I did with my friends. You know, that's what a lot of, because these were like youth programs, you know what I'm saying? Or these classes is other young people who just happen to be interested in the same stuff that you're interested in. So it's like, cool amongst y'all but maybe in the larger you know young people (laughs) population it's not the coolest shit that's like theater kids you know what i'm saying musical theater ooh. um but i guess because i was surrounded by people who uh who did um think it was cool and who enjoyed it and who celebrated it uh that i never felt like shy about it or weird about it um And because I never felt that way, I felt encouraged to pursue it. Speak a little bit about the theater world, which is something I don't know a ton about. I'm like, when's the last time I even got to see a live show? How do I do it for cheap? I think hot ticks in in, uh, Times Square, you wait in line there. But what um, what does it look like specifically to be checked for in the New York City theater world? Like who are the gatekeepers? I imagine it maybe like looks slightly different from TV and film, though I would also imagine that much like TV and film, there are many gods to answer to. So, yeah. Yeah, theater. I mean, to even ask that question, to ask that question, and especially in this moment, it's it's a mess right now. Um, It has been a mess, I think, and um, people just got time to kind of spend spend some time really looking at it, you know, and looking at it from all sides and looking at it closely and Oh, God, my, my heart uh, is aching for what's going on in theater right now. But um, I, I guess, uh, yeah, there are certainly gatekeepers and it's been the same gatekeepers for many, many years. Uh, and, and they're older and white, uh, <laughs> and, and, um, you know, have the capital and, and, and have for a really long time in this industry made all of the rules. Mm. And um it's it's sad because they they don't know all the stories, you know. So there's you know, p- audiences have not uh, had the opportunity to kind of see themselves reflected, or even just get in the door and choose to not see themselves reflected, but still have a show right. um, because uh, the way that the industry has been set up for so long. And I think some of that is changing at a slow rate. Um, but there's is work left to do. The exciting thing, there's a lot of work left to do. The exciting thing, though, is that, you know, the, the creativity that uh, our generation has and the generation coming behind us has and uh, just younger people in general, um, just just the ones that are not keeping the gate. So that that's a range of ages right. um, are kind of tired of it and, and realize that they don't have to rely or be dependent on these these 
specific theater companies, you know, with these, uh, you know, their brick and mortars and their subscriber base. They don't they don't have to be beholden to that in order to get their word out, you know, get their their message out there, the story out there, um, their work out there. There's there's other ways to do it now. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of hope, but there's a lot of. Yeah, we got a long way to go when it comes to uh, equity and in the theater industry and then new york is like the worst of it you know what i'm saying because it's just i don't know there's such a um uh it's, it's very competitive you know and, and the competition uh, even because because it, it's set up that way right like so if i i'm a black woman i'm playwright and uh there's so many other black women in the game who i have grown up reading who i respect who i admire who and you know i try to emulate like all of that um but you know, you get to a certain point, and you, without even asking to, you find yourself in competition. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like a fierce competition with these other creators. It's really like, I actually want to collaborate with you, or could we get a coffee? Like, I'd actually just like <laughs> like to learn from you. But it's you know, one slot in one season, uh, and sorry, it's not going to be you because there's not two slots, and we're going to go with the uh, the younger, hotter playwright. I'm not saying that's me, but the younger, hotter playwright this season. You know, and then the resentment builds because they put in the, the years, you know what I'm saying, and the sacrifice and the work and they've been around. And um, it's just stupid metrics that um, really don't serve anybody. Um, they don't serve the artists. They definitely don't serve the audiences. Just an outsider looking in, it feels like such a socioeconomic binary, too. It's like either you're fucking on Broadway, hat, you know, cats, or I mean, there's plenty of other shows. I don't know why I thought the cat first, but there's plenty of other shows. <laughs> Or it's like, you know, like black box and it's like you're you're scrapping and it's like, okay, well, where's how can you do middle class theater in New York City? And is it is it possible? Um, How do you live middle class in New York City? There you go. (laughs) It's just reflective of what the situation is. You know what I'm saying? Um, But I think people are people have known this for a very long time, uh, but now it's not so much. It doesn't feel like so much of a secret like you don't have to create in fucking New York. You don't have to be in New York. You don't have to live here. You don't have to have your show produced here. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like to for you to be impact, impactful um, in this field. And uh, I think it's dope like that people are learning that because that's not what is, I, I graduated, I went to an MFA program for acting and that is not what we were taught. We were taught that there are two markets, is New York and LA. And you got to be in either of those places. You have to be recognized in either of those places to be successful. Um, and what they didn't really tell me in grad school that it was that that was impossible. You know, you, you kind of get sh- shot out into the world with this, you know, dream that I'll just put a year in a really hard working and go on a whole bunch of auditions and then I'll be, you know, discovered and then I'll be good. I mean, Cody knows what I'm talking about. That is not how that shit works at all. Um, (laughs) I think it's the hope is that people are just, you know, they're recognizing that way earlier than I did. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think people our age group did. I think, yeah, I, I teach as well. And I think my students are like, they don't need none of that. They're on some other, like, I'm gonna just make it right here where I'm standing right now very inspiring um yeah how have you managed to pursue kind of each lane of your multi-hyphenate at once is it are you kind of a focus on one at a time you know this these 
right now I'm doing the MFA, so it's all acting. And then you shift gears, and well, now this season I'm writing a play, and well, like we got poetry competition. How are, do you have, of course, sort of separated, blend it all together? Uh, and I guess generally also, what are your thoughts on specializing uh, in the arts versus kind of being a, a jack of all trades? I think for the way it happened for me is uh, it, it wasn't intentional. Um, it kind of just happened that way where I happened to be, where I made certain, you know, dis- choices about the next step. Um, that's what motivated the, the, the decision. Um, so when I was at the end, uh, I didn't study theater or playwriting or acting or any of those things in undergrad. I was a comp lit major because uh, at the end of high school, I was like, I don't want to go to school for acting. I'm not doing this. Uh, and then at the end of undergrad, I was like, hmm, wonder what it'd be like to to go to school for acting. And so I did that. And while I was in grad school, I was like, huh, acting is cool, but what are these playwrights over here doing? Let me try to get in those classes. You know, so it was kind of, it was a natural thing. Um, not really that thought out. Um, and to answer the second part of your question, I think, you know, it really just depends on the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people feel very called to do one thing. Some people feel very called to act. Um, and and they pour everything and into they, their and they, they and they they bring that into their life and and sometimes to house parties or or holiday events or or even <laughs> small innocuous. <laughs> Don't come for these acts. Like <laughs> I'm an actor. You an actor, and you do other things too, and and have always been doing other things. And I feel similar. Like I've you know been writing as long as I've been acting um, and directing and producing um, and feel fulfilled in all of those spaces. You know, I don't feel like I'm selling one part of myself short when I'm not acting because I'm focused on my writing at the moment or, you know, vice versa. Um, I remember being in grad school and feeling very conflicted about it all. Um, I broke down and we had like a visiting person from one of these regional theater festivals. It was I don't know who it was, but, you know, everybody was on, you know, on their toes because a, a big professional person was coming to audition the grad students and maybe it would lead to a job. And I remember doing my audition or whatever and then talking to her some and she asked me what I, this question was simply, what do you want to do? And I just broke down. I just started sobbing. Mm. Um, and she was like, why are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, because I, you know, I, I want to act, but it's not the only thing I want to do because I also write. It was a big deal. Um, and she was like, I don't remember where she was from either. She wasn't from this country. And she was like, oh, yeah, where I come from, people do many things. I didn't get the role. <laughs> but that stuff, I was like, she made it so simple for me. Like, I feel, you know, we here... <clears throat> And in the U.S. of A, we often feel like, you know, you got a title, you do a thing, you train to do that thing, you do that thing till you're 65 and then you, you know, get retirement benefits having had done that thing. Um, But it's a lot, you know, that kind of individual, just one path, uh, I don't know, model that we're sold is, is one. I don't think it's global, like other people in other parts of the world don't necessarily you know have to do just one thing or from from the point that you're a kid to now you're only focused on one thing and if you don't fulfill that one thing you're a failure like there's many multi-hyphenates we're all multi-hyphenates um we just have this pressure to kind of like put a label on everything and uh that i i do resist but that's because that aligns with my artistry and 
It's like, I know I will go to bed tonight, like, being like, remember what Zora said, you know, it's not the one path. It's not like you got to, you know, get on that path and stay on that path until, un- you know, retirement and you got all the 30 kids and, you know, middle class comfortability. <laughs> not during the 30 kids. Uh, I don't even want that. My, my girlfriend wants uh, five. That even seems like a lot. But uh but I know that in the morning, you know, I'll go to sleep knowing that everyone's got their own shit and you don't have to do the one thing for 40 years. And then I'll wake up tomorrow morning and be like, well, where's my one path? I want it, you know, and I just feel like it's that that societal pressure that will, you know, push on your skull day in and day out. You know, even as even as we, you know, try to tell ourselves these things over and over. Um, but I, I do appreciate that message and we'll tell our listeners internalize everything and all even though I obviously will not um, well it's, it's not one of those things that you just you know you hear one time and then you know it like deep down in your core and nothing else can shake you for the rest of your life it's something that we got to continue to tell ourselves yeah. um yeah I struggle with that all the time I feel like man every time I pass on an audition I'm like uh Nah, I shouldn't be doing that. You love to ask, or why are you passing on auditions? I'm passing on auditions because I don't want to be auditioning right now. I want to finish my damn play. That's all right. Maybe in another season, I will be like, I want all the auditions. I just want to go out here and just be seen, you know? And that's okay, too. Maybe both things happen simultaneously, you know? If I've learned anything this year, it's that things can happen simultaneously, like uh, the crumbling of the, the Republic and uh, the uplift, the uprising of a race war, and uh, you know, fires over here, floods over there. It's a it's a world where a lot of things can happen at one time. Yes, indeed. Let so, us let us take a lesson from that. Let me just be like Mother Earth and get dynamic That's on this right. motherfucker. You know. <laughs> so I have a question. I have this is just like such a thorn in the side question for everyone that I ask, but it is the social media question, which I feel like is like such a thing of our time with respect to like feeling checked for feel like I all it's always this pressure to be like in the conversation the meme the jo- I mean ju- I mean truly definitely for comedians like Twitter culture social media culture is like such a like a have to um, or a should I should say how do you engage with social media and do you feel a similar should pressure with respect to it in terms of like, ah, putting myself out there as a creative, I guess I should do this thing the whole world is doing. Kind of personally, I do find uh, social media to be, it's a difficult place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've learned that over the years that I just don't do well uh, engaging. Uh, you know, that's why I've stayed away from Instagram. I've never had an Instagram and I, I don't plan on it because um, the kind of time that I spend on the platforms um, how I get caught up in what other people are doing. I'm looking at other playwrights' pages like, oh, they got this fellowship. Damn. You know, I don't need to. But what is that? How does that? That doesn't help me get the fellowship. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Somebody else got it. I just, um, but, you know, I can't say that there are benefits to using them, using the different platforms, you know, as artists, because um, sometimes it's the only way we can market ourselves, you know. The one thing I do appreciate social media for is being introduced to artists that I otherwise would not have known about. That I find to be very dope, like other writers or especially musicians, um, funny people, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that just if Twitter didn't exist, I'm like, how would I how would I have been introduced to this artist? So that I do find very useful. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, social media is just one swift punch to the tit every single time. Like, it's, <laughs> not, 
at least a Swift. Uh, <laughs> or maybe not. It's just, it's that feeling. I feel like it is literally getting the air knocked, the wind knocked out of you, which happened to me so often as a child. I feel like I was always getting the wind knocked out of me. You know, when it's just like all oh, the air sort of leaves. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I get that. And it's, and it is nice to have someone on who, uh, even though you have said that you are, the, do you think the jury is out on if you're checked for? We are sure, certain that you're checked for. Not that Cody and I are any gatekeepers for that matter. <laughs> we are the gatekeepers to this pod and both of its listeners. Hey, mom. Um, <laughs> now, Zora, you may not be all over social media, but I actually have seen you on the internet quite a bit recently uh, because mm. there's been a lot of buzz about Premature, a film you co-wrote, produced, and starred in that premiered at Sundance. I saw it live and in person at the Brooklyn Film Festival, and it's now available on Hulu. Um now, I know that that's a project you worked on with someone from your long and deep artistic past, right? A, a friend and, and uh, director. And, but I'm curious beyond that, like, how did that, how did that project come about and how has it impacted your tractation to this point? <laughs> um, yeah, premature. Um, so the, my co-writer and the filmmaker, uh, Rashad Ernesto Green, like you say, yeah, we go way, way back. Like I was a kid, um, and you know, he he lives around the corner, so he'd be eating at my house all the time, right. and just you know, family. Um, but we also knew each other artistically and had collaborated artistically in the past, and he mostly as with me acting and him directing. Uh, but he also knew me as a writer, and we talked for years and years and years about writing something together. Um, and the timing was never right, <clears throat> I guess. And when the timing was really wrong, I was like knee deep in my graduate studies. He was like, let's write a film. Um, and we did. That's what we you know. On my, my breaks home from school, we got together and we, um, over, I guess, a year and a half, two years, we, we got a, a script out and, and went kind of pretty quickly to production. Um, and I will say it's, you know, it's certainly opened doors. Um, you know, just having, I mean, you guys know this, just having something that you can show people like, no, I'm like, I'm for real. Like I do write things and, you know, that are intended to be made and, you know, consumed. Um, you know, people are a little bit more likely, I guess, to pay you attention if you can actually get them to watch it. And then if they do watch it and respond to it, then, you know, you might sit down and have a conversation. Um, you know, the best thing about Premature, though, is that not just that it's been made and, you know, has been released and is on a streaming platform, but it's, you know, it's actually a, a piece of work that I'm very proud of, you know. So it's like, a, um, you know, a representation of my artistry that I'm like, you know, sometimes you got shit in the world. Like, y'all know this. You have stuff in the world that somebody filmed right. and it's on the interwebs and it's trash, you know, right. or you, it, you like cringe every time you Google yourself and see it. Um, hey, aren't you that lady from that thing? No. Uh-uh. Yes, not me. Look like me. Um, but that's not this, you know. So I'm actually genuinely excited to engage with people when they say that they have seen the film, you know, or they they were moved by the film. Um, you know, that's the, the, the greatest gift. And, you know, ain't, ain't, ain't been no film since then. I'm working on it. But, you know that is out in the world right now people can access it is you know it's just a real joy nice well that's i mean that's exciting that was a, a fantastic film i i i remember watching thinking i'm glad i didn't i was, it, we was sitting in the 
was at the Brooklyn at BAM, right? I was at BAM and I walked in and I was supposed to go with a friend, but he couldn't come. So I was dolo. And I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. Whatever. I probably just get a decent seat in the middle. And I go and I sit. And it was packed. The theater was packed with all of these just regal looking black women of all ages. It was like, you know, <laughs> very like glossy but pastel colored flowing dresses and like shiny bald heads of freedom and empowerment you know <laughs> and i'm sitting there watching the movie like i know this shit finna smack because look at the clientele and then <laughs> you know what I'm saying? About, a, about an hour and i'm sitting there and I'm, my my chins my jaws getting so swollen because i'm holding back tears i'm like oh, i don't know nobody in here don't be crying for any strangers man. i think you weak this how you get jumped <laughs> It was so great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed Premature. So thank you. Thank you for giving me some more insight on that, you know? Hell yeah. And we ask all of, uh, pretty much all of our guests this when they come on, but who or what are you checking for these days? Uh, I mean, the first thing that came to mind, I've been doing like a, a lot of comfort watching on TV. So shit that I've already seen. Um, I'm re-watching it because I just, you know, sometimes you're just not ready for a new story or a new commitment. That's kind of where I've been for a lot of 2020. Like, I just need a guaranteed, this is going to either make me laugh how I know it's going to make me laugh or make me cry in exactly the way I know it's going to make me cry. I don't need no, you know, short turns. Um, Mm -hmm. So me, like every, you know, most all Black women uh, right now, binge-watching Girlfriends. Um... I plan to move on to one-on-one after girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I'm just excited that I'm going to have like- Was the dad's name Flex? Flex. Yes. Flex. 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 Fun fact, Flex Alexander, he actually played Darnell, Maya's husband, on the first season of Girlfriends. And then he got one-on-one. And that's when they switched out to Khalil Kane. Wow. That might be too much information. But you know, those no. shows, they were all like recycling the same. Right. I mean, that's. I was thinking about that when you were saying that you came up around all these other black creators, because I know, like, I've been in rooms before, especially in like late night TV, talking to like other black people, people of color. I'm like, yeah, I remember I, I never really saw myself on TV. There was no representation. And I only watched like UPN, you know, it was like you people's network. Right. And you're right. Yeah. They really did circulate the same. 14 actors and actresses yes. around a Sometimes whole storyline. Yeah, like a whole thing of shows. It was, it was wonderful. It those were great. Some very talented white writers. That all sounds like really healthy comfort watching. I can't believe uh, I haven't been doing the exact same thing. But uh, and you kind of answer, already answered this question. But we know that Premature is on Hulu and that uh, the world of theater is kind of on hold. So, what is it that people can be checking for from you that you want us to keep an eye out for? Yeah, I mean, there's not too much in the world right now um, that, you know, I was surprised that this time, you know, this this year has been, it has been a creative year. It's just been a fucking shit show of a time. Well, personally, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened and um, I expected that everything would dry up. You know, I expected that I wouldn't be able to produce, um, you know, that I just that kind of like <clears throat> my creative practice would, would reflect how I've just been feeling, which is um, a little stuck. Um, but I, you know, very happy to, to find inspiration um, over these past several months and actually, you know, completed two drafts um, of two new plays that I'm 
really hyped about, you know, and it's a weird thing to be really, really hyped about projects that you just don't know. Like, I don't know if the world, if there's a space in the world for this, you know, and I can't tell you when there will be a space in the world for this because we're just not producing uh, right now. But, you know, the ideas are still coming. I'm going to keep on writing them down and like uh, trying my best to gather artists to, to, to pour further into the work, you know, and that has been uh, such a light in these, in these times, you know, even if all the shit is virtually and through Zoom, you know, to connect with artists that I'm inspired by, you know, my peers, my colleagues, and like have a little fun for a few hours, uh, you know, in, a, in this format. Um, Cause it, like they still do inspire, you know, they're still really, really good at what they do. And like, it still translates across the screen. So I'm, I'm very grateful to, uh, you know, everybody in, in this industry that is still trying to make it work, mm-hmm. you know, still serving the art um, uh, and, and being creative about it. Like just thinking way, way outside the box about it. Cause it's, uh, it keeps me right and it keeps me going because I, I very much want to get back to the point where I could be in a room with these folks you know what I'm saying uh, and have an audience like God I look forward to the day it's the worst shit to be like present some new work on a Zoom oh, man. and like oh you wrote some funny shit I can't imagine how y'all are doing no you wrote some funny shit and then it just be silent right. quiet <laughs> no right. idea if that hit or not like should I cut this whole right. speech <laughs> should I, you know what I'm saying there's no like real time anything so i miss that man because that's that's what feeds all of it you know well you know borrowing from the uh foreign woman who you ran into who you were working with at the at the the theater i gotta say you know people do many things uh so you do a lot of things it seems like you got the ability to do a bunch and like they say it's better to stay ready that way you don't have to get ready so when the world opens up it's probably best that they get ready for you. Zora Howard, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ain't nobody checking for you. For me, rather. For her, absolutely. I'm Cody Wilkins. I'm Rachel Zorowski. We're out. Ain't nobody for you. Checking for you. Checking for you. Ain't nobody for you. Checking for you. Checking for you.